knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he did, didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Welcome to Theology Gals Podcast, and I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Ashley Glassick, and you guys can't see Ashley, but she's sporting her L.A. Dodgers hat <laughs> today, so she's a proud fan, even in even season and out of season, yeah. even when they, hey, they were still the second best team in the Oh, baseball, I was going to so. say, they didn't yeah. win the World Series, but they did excellent, and so yeah. they're still champions. They're still champions. <laughs> yep. In season and out of season, uh, we are Dodgers fans. We actually bought a Dodgers onesie the other day for our, our little boy that will be coming in May or June. So, yeah. Raise him right, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, when our first was born, my husband's from Chicago. We're living in Chicago. It's when the Chicago Bulls were like at the top of their game. So we had mm -hmm. our Chicago Bulls onesies mm -hmm. and bears. So I saw something interesting today, <clears throat> actually not today, recently on Facebook. And I, I thought you would find this interesting. Um, friend of the podcast, Ashley Haas posted um, something about um, being a Presbyterian, but celebrating Christmas um, not being exclusive Psalmody, um, being a Sabbatarian, but maybe not being as strict um, as some people about being a Sabbatarian. And she said, do you ever feel like you're not Presbyterian enough? She says, I don't care what people think so much about me, but you just feel, you almost feel inferior a little bit because you don't take some of the um, stricter views, I guess. Um, have you ever felt that way, Colleen? Like you're not not quite Presbyterian enough? You know, I I haven't, but I wonder how much social media has to do with this, kind of thinking this through. And the reason I say that is when my husband and I went, the first church that my husband and I, Reformed Church, Presbyterian Church my husband and I went to, was the RPCNA. And so for those who are not familiar with the RPCNA, the Covenanters, they're exclusive they sing exclusive psalm, exclusively psalms. They don't use musical instruments. 
Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I know actually some of our RPCNA friends wear head coverings, don't celebrate Christmas. That but that actually wasn't the case with at the RPCNA that we we went to. They actually did were fine with celebrating Christmas, not Christmas hymns or celebrating as part of the worship, but they did celebrate. The pastor had a Christmas tree and presents under it. And so I wonder if maybe that judgmental feeling almost, or I'm not saying Ashley feels judged, but feeling that she's not measuring up to maybe some, you know, a certain kind of Presbyterian has to do with what we talked about last week in Mm -hmm. some of these things that we see on social media and the judging and feeling certain ways. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I first started to understand the law, um, which we're actually going to get to a little bit today and realize that the entire time I hadn't been, a, the entire time I'd been a Christian, I hadn't been observing the fourth commandment. And all of a sudden I was trying to understand how, what, how do you, how do you observe the fourth commandment? I, you know, look to the reform people around me to try to understand. And I initially took a, a probably a stricter stance than I take now and there's that feeling now sometimes like, man, the stance I take just isn't very, re- it's not reformed enough. Like it's reformed, <laughs> but it's not reformed enough. And I, I think I was talking about this with someone else. I think sometimes there's a pressure to take, <clears throat> take viewpoints um, or carry convictions of things that maybe you, you haven't really been convinced of yet or haven't really studied just because you want to take the reform view. You want to, you want to be reformed. And I mean, I'm guilty of it. Like I've had to take a step back and be like, why do I even, why do I even see it this way? Or does scripture really say that? Um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think it's probably a social media thing. Again, I feel like we always end up circling back to social media yeah. <laughs> on a lot of our podcasts. Huh? Well, probably partly because of our group and things like yeah. that. And one thing I've said before is like when say there's a discussion on baptism in in a group or something and someone decides they're a pedo baptist from a facebook post and and as much as i want them to agree with me i come and say no 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 you cannot make a decision based on this facebook <laughs> post you you need to go and study and you know talk to your pastor and, and things like this and and so i think you know, my husband and I were, were in a church where these things were practiced, but at the time, I mean, I don't think that we ever felt pressure to, to live up to, you know, these certain Mm -hmm. standards that, in fact, I, I, I don't recall ever feeling, feeling quite that way. So I think, I wonder, you know, it's kind of, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, but then you do, you're exposed, I think, in our group and other groups, to other kinds of Presbyterians that have differing views on the regulative principle of worship or, you know, on, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the post that you commented on was Christmas. And I, I know that historically that reformed churches did not celebrate Christmas in the worship service. But I, when I was newly reformed, I did not know that it was a thing that reformed people didn't celebrate Christmas that I, I didn't know I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I Presbyterians that I knew that didn't believe in private celebrations I do know now mm-hmm. that's, that's the case I and I only know of of them from social media I don't actually know anybody in real life um that does but um I and I 
I th- appreciate those people that that's their conviction and they've, they've really studied and that's where they're falling on the issue. So I don't want to belittle <clears throat> taking a strict position at all because I really respect it. But um, I just think we need to be careful not to not to feel the pressure to come down a certain way on something just to fit to fit a Reformed or Presbyterian label. So. I, I think that's true. And I've, actu- I've actually seen this kind of on social media. You know, now that I'm Reformed, I need to be a Sabbatarian that believes in um, presuppositional apologetics and does this, mm-hmm. this, and this. And, and I think this is where it gets to the goal of our podcast, which is to encourage women in the study of God's word and correct theology, that that's what we want you to do. We don't want you to agree with us because what we say sounds great. We want you to be studying. Yeah. And we said this last week on the Mommy Wars episode. Don't, I mean, it's, it's okay to hear about things on social media and new ideas, but like don't form whole theological like opinions based on Facebook posts, like, or Twitter posts, like, you need to be in discussion with your pastors and elders and just people in your community um, that you've been placed in. Uh, Cause Facebook isn't really, I don't know. It's not really the place to do that. That needs to be it within the local church. I mean, I, I've, I've been on Facebook before and someone posts something. I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that before. Like I have no idea what that means. I end up looking it up, but try to always go back and ask someone at church or talk to someone, one of my pastor or elder or something. So, right. well, in our group posts have to be approved and there are times there are actually, you know, there's probably a few posts a day that we don't approve. And one reason we won't approve a post is, and it says in our guidelines that this is not something for a Facebook group. This is something that needs to be discussed with your own pastor. And I know, I think the thing that gets difficult is we have a lot of girls who are not in good churches. Mm. Yeah, that's hard. Are are trying to find good churches that they've realized I'm in an Arminian church that got some really bad theology. And so I do think our group has been really helpful for a lot of girls. And and if you're there, there are, we might need to do an episode sometime on when is it appropriate to leave a church, but yeah. I think that's a good point because our default, um, our default response usually to people is go talk to your pastor and elders about this. And I think I've just been in a good church for so long that I forget there's a lot of people where that's not really a safe thing to do um, is to talk to your pastor, which is really sad, you know. Um, but I know that's that's a reality for some, and so that's that's difficult. Right. And we have women who maybe are more reformed in their theology, but their husbands maybe are not quite there. So they're not Mm -hmm. in a place of going and finding a good reformed church. So I want to be sensitive, you know, to those ladies too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a difficult spot to be in. Why don't we go to a commercial and come back and we're going to be talking some law and gospel and law gospel distinctions where next week, I think next week or in the next few weeks, we're going to talk specifically about the law, you know, kind of how the law is broken up and, and those sorts of things. But we thought first that talking about law gospel 
what that means, what law gospel distinctions means would be helpful before we kind of get into the law itself. So we'll go to a quick commercial and we'll be right back. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. So, Ashley, I'm kind of wondering because I, I really can't remember, although I think my answer would be no. Before you were in a Reformed church, had you ever heard law and gospel? you know, used in that way. Obviously, you'd heard the term law, the term mm-hmm. gospel. Yeah, I, I had no idea. And it, it actually wasn't, I, I know the church I was in was clearly preaching law gospel distinction when I first started attending a Reformed church, but I didn't even hear those words until, you know, well after um, where someone actually said, you need to have a law gospel distinction. And I was like, what? <laughs> I never, never heard that before. Um, but once I understood it, and honestly, I'm still understanding it, um, I see it kind of everywhere. Like I, like I see things all the time where I was like, oh, they're not separating law and gospel, you know? And I, I think this is one of like the most important reformed things for me to understand personally. Um in fact, I don't even think, like, if you don't have a, a law gospel distinction, I, I don't need, I think that's so crucial to being reformed that if you, if you don't have that, I feel like you can't even wear the title of reform, wouldn't you say, Colleen? Well, there's some people that would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> probably would disagree. But isn't it so fundamental to what the Reformation was about? I think it is. And I think in reading the reformers, you had a great quote from Beza. I think you should. Sure. Yeah. Um, Love Beza. All right. So Theodore Beza said, ignorance of the distinction between the law and gospel is one of the principal sources of all the abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. And my guess here, historically, knowing where Beza was, is he's actually thinking a lot about the Catholic Church. Yeah. In saying the corruption of Christianity. But I mean, 400 years later, that's still very true that not distinguishing between the two. um, What does he say is the principal source of all the abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. That's huge. That's a huge statement he's making. Well, ultimately, if you do not have correct law gospel distinctions, you're corrupting the gospel. Mm-hmm. And well, let's just talk real, real. First of all, is what are we talking about with law and gospel? And in in the very simplest of terms, is those places in Scripture where God commands, and those places where He promises. So, any time in Scripture we see commands, and you'll sometimes hear "Do this and live." You'll hear that sometimes in Reformed when talking about the law. So. 
anything that's commanded in scripture, God is commanding perfect obedience. That is law. And, you know, we've got different, different verses. Cursed is everyone who, who does not do everything which is written in the book of the law. And then the gospel is, is Christ and his work, what he's done for sinners, the good news in Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see things which are law and we see <laughs> things which are gospel. And everything right. in scripture you can put into one of those categories. Mm -hmm. And um, I've heard it said, I like the way people say when they say the gospel, the gospel is an announcement. Um, it's an announcement of good news. Cause I feel like that's helpful yes. when you're trying to distinguish it from law. And we'll, we'll get into later some examples where the lines of law and gospel kind of get blurred and it causes okay. some problems. Um, but I, it's helpful to think of the gospel as an announcement. Also, we're when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the moral law, the Decalogue, but we're also talking about in the New Testament, commandments in the New Testament, right? Yes. I just want to make that clear. For yeah, and that's and that's one thing we'll talk about is where that sometimes gets confused, where people want to call those commands in scriptures gospel. Mm. And and I have actually have some examples of that we'll get to, but um, one thing I, again, as always, probably more this week than many weeks, I have so many resources. If this is a topic you want to learn about, I have so many resources that I'm going to be including. And, you know, people like Michael Horton, R. Scott Clark, and others have written a lot. And I've got a lot of good quotes, too. But talking about whether this is a reformed, is mm -hmm. law gospel distinction something reformed? And Louis Burkhoff says the churches of the reformation from the very beginning distinguished between the law and the gospel as the two parts of the word of God as a means of grace. And there, there's more to that quote, but just basically we, I think we see there's so many quotes. I think both of us, Ashley, mm -hmm. in our studying for this episode, you know, we listened to some other podcasts, did a lot of reading. We found so many quotes from Calvin, yeah. from Beza of course, Luther, but he's going to be on the Lutheran side. And we know Lutherans have the law gospel distinction, but there's, there's uh, so many reformers. We see that this was clearly something important in the reformation. And as you said, because that there, it was missing in the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. There, yeah, there was no distinction at all between the law and the gospel. Um, <clears throat> I think the Spurgeon quote actually would be helpful. Um, do you want to get into more the uses of the law or come and circle back to I'm going to I'm going to just link a good link to the Heidelberg Catechism for everyone because if you want to understand law and gospel Heidelberg Catechism that when we did a we did a 2 year study of the Heidelberg Catechism several years ago I think started it right uh started it when I was actually pregnant with my son who's turning 18 in May. So that tells you how long ago we started it. And it was, it was actually reading through the Heidelberg Catechism and studying the Heidelberg Catechism that really helped me to understand the, the law and gospel. And I'm just going to quote one thing from the Heidelberg Catechism. And that, and just cause I think this is very helpful 
but that is, how many things are necessary for you to know that in this comfort you may live and die happily? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery is. The second, how I'm redeemed from my sins and misery. The third, how I'm to be thankful to God for such redemption. And mm. how do we know? First of all, how do we know that first part where it says how great my sin and misery are? How do we know how great our sin and misery are? The law. We have to we have to compare ourselves to the perfect law. Right. Because those the things, those commands in scripture, when we're talking about law, those are actually not suggestions. Mm-hmm. They're, they're commands for you to do perfectly. And but then it says, second, how I'm redeemed from my sin and misery. And that is the gospel right there. Right. And and then the third, how I'm to be thankful to God for such redemption. And and this is important because the the law does have a use for us as Christians. Right. In fact, Michael Horton, when he talks about the indicative and the imperative, he says the indicative is a declaration of what God has done and of who we are in Christ as a result. It defines us. The, the imperative tells us who we are already in Christ. The imperative instructs us in how we should therefore live at that new reality. And so I think that third part of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we are not saying the law only is good to show us our sin and misery. Right. Um, And I was thinking as you were reading that, so there's the very clear, you have to know how great your sin is. And then you can hear the gospel, how you're redeemed from all your sins and misery and I was thinking how important it is um, in when you're witnessing to someone about the gospel, how important it is to first talk about the law, um, because the gospel doesn't really make sense apart from understanding where you are, um, that you're condemned by the law. And I've heard, I've heard people say when sharing the gospel, they they do include the law as like part of the gospel and it's, it just gets very confusing. And that's true. And I would say, I think even some gospel presentations in evangelical churches don't include the law where they're presenting a Jesus, the self-help Jesus, right? You know, come to Jesus. So you, so your marriage can be better and your life can be better. Mm-hmm. And, and those sorts of things. And there's different extremes. You got like the health and well, wellness gospel, you know, you can, you can be healthy and wealthy and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then, but you also have even outside of that, I, I had been to churches my young years, won't say, say the name of the denomination, but where they, I was at this church for a Sunday evening service and the, and the, and the guy said, he said, if your marriage is bad, if your children are disobedient, come to Jesus. That, mm. that's not that's actually not the gospel right there mm. they're missing the the if you're a sinner and falling short of God's glory then come to then right. Jesus for your salvation so what are the what are the three uses of the law because I bet a lot of our listeners have heard that term uses of the law but they're not exactly sure what that means okay so yeah I think this is really important because when I first became a Christian I only knew of the one use which was that you already mentioned it. Like we, I think we call it the pedagogical 
I'm totally saying that wrong. I should know how to say that. You said it right. I should know how to say that word as a teacher because we use pedagogy all the time. Um, which the pedago- pedagogical or pedagogical? Pedagogical. Pedagogical is where um, we're shown, it shows us our unworthiness um, and how, how far below the mark we've fallen. Um, and then the other two are there's the civil use of the law and the moral or normative use of the law. Um, and the civil law, that kind of applies to like um, public or civil life. Like we see, um, I guess a good example of that would be like, you know, it's against the law to murder someone. And that's right. right. And that's um And that's, I mean, that's a biblical concept, even though it's in our, you know, secular government. And the last one, which I didn't hear about until I was um, in a reformed church, is the moral normative use, um, where it's like, okay, now, now this is how you live. Like, you're a Christian, you've accepted, um, you've accepted the gospel as truth. Um, And so we get this from the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Um, and so whenever we use the word antinomianism, which I think we've used antinomianism on this podcast right. before, we're talking about people who deny that use of the law. Right. They're saying, no, it's all God's grace, all God's grace. There is no Christians don't have to do anything. It's all grace. And that's that's not definitely not a reformed view. We do think that the the uh, Christians are called to follow um, the Decalogue or Ten Commandments and also all the all the commands we see in the New Testament. Um, of course, there's grace to cover um, our sins, but we are called to follow them. Right. And it, you'll a lot of times hear people talk about the third use, and that's what they're talking about. And they'll talk about people who deny the third use. And I've run in... I don't think I know anyone in real life who actually believes this, but I mm. run into people online that, that will say that progressive sanctification is a, a heresy, you know, and these are true antinomians. They mm. do not believe that the law is our guide for living as Christians. Mm. And I think sometimes that's an overreaction to people who are confusing law and gospel in that third use. Hmm. Yeah. And I run into people who say online, who say that Christians don't have to follow the 10 commandments because that's old Testament. We just have to follow commands that are found in the new Testament. And I don't think, I think we've talked about this before. People who say that, I don't think their lives look antinomian, but theologically that is an antinomian stance because you're saying that the, the moral law is no longer binding on Christians, um, which is which is not the case. Right. Ex- exactly. And just to remind everyone of what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, it says that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. And it talks about <clears throat> how we die more unto self and live unto him. And sanctification, if you are indeed in Christ and united to him, God is working in you to grow in obedience. This is a necessary consequence of, of your salvation in Christ. If you, And sometimes it doesn't 
look the way we want it to. You know, we struggle all the time with not being sanctified enough of continuing to struggle with sin. But, but we know that he is indeed working in us that we grow in obedience. There's a really great quote by Spurgeon. So for my Baptist sisters and brothers who love Spurgeon, um, I love Spurgeon. Um, but he says, there is no point upon which men make greater mistakes than upon the relation, relation which exists between the law and the gospel. Some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel instead of the law. Some modify the law and the gospel and preach neither law nor gospel and others entirely abrogate the law by bringing in the gospel. Yeah, there's a lot more there, but I think that's a very long quote. Um, But there's like a bunch of different ways he's saying that you can mess up this law-gospel distinction. Right. And antinomianism and gnomism would be two kind of extremes of, you know, the two sides, where we're either saying that there's no third use, that we are not that that we are not called to live in obedience to God's law would be mm-hmm. the antinomian side. But the other side would be adding works as necessary mm-hmm. for our justification. You have some great examples of where we've seen this in contemporary writings, I, right, Colleen? Right. And I want to say, if you have not listened to our episode with John Fonville on Lordship Salvation, he spends quite a bit of time of talking about some good examples. It's a long episode, but take it in a few parts because it's very good. And he gives some excellent examples. But I'm kind of going to talk about that and, and give some examples right from the book, Christ the Lord, the Reformation of Lordship Salvation, edited by Michael Hort. Just to be clear, they agree with MacArthur that antinomianism and free grace, you know, with no law is bad and, and denying the third use is bad. But they think maybe it goes too far in confusing law and gospel. And I'm, I'm actually going to talk specifically about the chapter called The Law According to Jesus by Rick Ritchie. And he talks about confusing of law and gospel. And one example, he, he says that MacArthur actually tries to use, to say that Luther called the rich young ruler and the, or the sermon, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount gospel. But it's very clear. I'm going to put some quotes in our notes. That it's very clear that that was absolutely not the case. So let's just look at the Sermon on the Mount for a second, based on what we were talking about, Ashley, that we have the commands and then we have the good news. So what mm-hmm. what is the Sermon on the Mount? Um, it's law. Okay. Where, so, I mean, where he says, blessed are those who do A, B, and C. Right. But MacArthur, and not to pick on him, but just to kind of show, calls that gospel and does the same thing with the rich young ruler. And let me say, let me just talk specifically about the rich young ruler. I have it. Hold on one second here. So the rich young ruler, if that is called gospel, you're actually adding some sort of work to the gospel. So I'm going to just quote from Rick real quick when he says, when talking about the rich young ruler, the young man did not walk away having rejected the gospel. Jesus had not preached the gospel to him. The young man had asked what good thing he could do to be saved. He was trying to save himself by keeping the law. Theoretically, that's possible, but obviously it's not possible because we're all born in sin. 
keeping the law perfectly is not the gospel. Mm-mm. It is the law. And so when you call things gospel, which are law, I think one of the things that happens, it's so crushing because now our hope is in our obedience instead of in Christ's work, mm-hmm. instead of Christ's obedience for us. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple other things, we see things around, I mean, People might recognize this, but I'm just going to use it to say, you know, if you don't value Christ above all, then you aren't saved. That's saying if you don't obey this law, you are not saved. Hmm. Instead of pointing to Christ alone as our hope for salvation. Right. Yeah, it's crushing. Um, And I you you see that in the story with the rich young ruler because he does walk away dejected. Um knowing that he can't, he can't sell all his things or um, he can't fulfill the law perfectly. And I think that makes sense. When we think about what what I was saying earlier with um, when you share the gospel, you see a good model there um, from Christ is like, you have to present the law for people to fill that condemnation to even need a reason to hear the gospel. Um, because if they don't, if they don't hear that, there's like no reason to even, um, there's no need for rescue or saving if they're not first, they don't first feel the weight of that law, which the rich young ruler does. Right. Well, the pedagogical use, one thing it does is it shows us our sinfulness and Mm -hmm. it drives us to Christ because we realize if I have to obey the law perfectly, I am absolutely helpless. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no hope for me. Right. Um, Do you have any other examples of where you've seen this? No, I, well, I think just, I, I think sometimes where law and gospel is is confused is in things like the one that I said in that, you know, if you don't do this, then you're not saved. If people are pointing to the law, and I think one thing that happens is they'll give the gospel, but then they'll give the law almost like an afterthought. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's something like, you know, Yes, you have to trust in Christ to be saved, but if you really are saved, then you will value Christ above everything. So, mm-hmm. yes, you trust. So, but that's still a confusion of law and gospel. So, yes, trust in Christ alone for your salvation. But if you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, then you'll you'll value Christ above everything else. And if you don't value Christ above everything else, then you aren't saved. Mm-hmm. And that that is still a confusion of law and gospel. It is still a way of adding something we do to our salvation. Mm -hmm. Now on Sunday, when my, when my pastor preaches and this has been the case in all the reformed churches I've been in, he'll do a reading of the law um, and he'll talk about the law. Um, And I think that's really important because a lot of churches don't even talk about law. Um, So he'll do, he'll do a reading of the law and then he'll do an assurance of pardon so he's kind of reminding us this is the standard of which we've all fallen short just this week, you know, from the examples in whatever part he's reading. And um, and then he'll assure us of where we stand in Christ. And But then even within the sermon, there's usually some 
moral or like normative use of the law, well, he'll remind us, you know, as a Christian, this is how you should live. Um, and there's some sermons that have more of it than others. You know, he, my pastor was just preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. So there was a lot of law in there because uh, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, right. you know, he did a, he did a whole sermon on divorce and things like that. And so um, I just want to say that because it almost sounds like it can almost sound like we're antinomian um, right. in what we're saying, but I've actually see, I see more of a value of valuing of the law and the importance of holding the law as Christians um, in my reformed church than I have in uh, previous churches I've been in um, that still had a very clear gospel presentation, but there was no preaching of the law. Like this is the law um, on Sunday. And, and so I don't know if this confused you at all as a young Christian Colleen, but it, I was never sure once I had a full grasp of the gospel and grace and things like that, I was never sure how the law played into my life now. I, I, I think that I was actually taught fairly well on that, even though okay. I wasn't in a reformed church, but I think this plays into exactly why we're talking about law gospel distinction. So what we're really talking about is what is the place of the law and what is the place of the gospel? But hmm. let's specifically, I think it's what's the place of the law. So while your pastor may, you know, he's preaching through Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth and only such a word as is good for edification and so on. And he's preaching, yes, this is your, your duty, Christians. He is also reminding you of the gospel that is mm-hmm. not your hope when you obey that. That yes. Christ alone is your hope. Your hope is Christ's obedience to the law. Mm-hmm. And so really, when we're talking about law gospel distinctions, it's it's understanding the correct place of the law and understanding the correct place of the gospel. Where, like you said, I mean, some where I think what MacArthur was was responding to in the Lordship Salvation controversy is that people are leaving the law out completely. Yeah. And, you know, we don't need to preach the law at all. We just need to you know, preach Christ and love or, or something like that. And well, they, there's no, there was no place for the law, but I don't think you can fully even understand the gospel yeah. until you are, until you preach the law first. I mean, I think it's pretty cool in the last 20 years, the gospel has become more and more important because of the, I think the young restless and reform movement. And there's just been a lot of things going on. And I think, I think my generation kind of, kind of is re- was rejecting kind of the soft, you know, evangelical church that wasn't really preaching much of anything. And so the gospel has become very um, prominent, prominently taught in a lot of churches, which is really great. But I think um, sometimes so much so, like you're saying, I mean, like, I'm sure you've probably heard someone say the words gospel centered like yeah. a million times. Like that's like the buzzword, right? Like, oh, these are like, I, I once heard Amy Brown say, or excuse me, Amy Bird say something about cooking gospel centered brownies. Like you make everything gospel, like everything gospel, including your brownies that you're cooking. Um, that all of a sudden it gets really confusing. Um, and we might want to talk about how people will say things like, oh, this is a gospel issue. Yep. 
Um, I think that's kind of what we're leading into. What do you think about that when people say this is a gospel issue? Yeah, and I'm going to link an R. Scott Clark article on this because he he wrote a wonderful article on this. And there's people that are going to disagree with us. (laughs) But the gospel alone is the gospel issue. (laughs) Yeah. We don't make social justice a gospel issue or right. this thing over here a gospel issue and that thing over there a gospel issue the mm-hmm. gospel and i i think that making things gospel issues is a confusion of law and gospel mm-hmm. yeah like a gospel issue i've like it's usually some um human rights thing that's that's you know going on or um, a social justice thing and i'll see articles and things that say this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. Um, an example I thought of from like two years ago when there was like a refugee kind of crisis thing, and it was very controversial. Everyone's talking about it. Where do we stand on this whole refugee thing? Which, regardless of where you stand, people were saying you know helping these people is a gospel issue. Um, and I, you know, I was saying I, it's a gospel issue if you're preaching the gospel to this you know people group or whatever. Um, but just the act of actually helping these people, um, and being like hospitable and neighborly and things like that. Um, that's not a gospel issue. That's just, that's just helping people. That's just doing, you know, what Christians should do, um, and loving our neighbor. Um, that, that would fall more under like a law, like Christians go do this. Um, that's not, that's not the gospel because there's no, there's no pronouncement like, this is how you can be saved in Christ. Like it's just you doing something. Yeah. That's a, that's a good example too. Cause I think that that's very popular language that we've been hearing a lot recently that such and such is a gospel is a gospel issue. Yeah. Or gospel centered. I hear gospel centered right. a lot too, which I don't think it's necessarily a bad word. Gospel centered. Right. Um, because I think like when a pastor is preaching on Sunday, the gospel should be in there, right. um, should center. That should be the high point, you know, of, um, but I think even with that from the pulpit on Sunday, where um, I've had the experience of hearing a sermon long ago where the gospel was very clear in what the pastor was saying, there was definitely a gospel presentation. And I think even the first use of the law was very clear, but I just was never hearing any kind of now Christian go do this. Um, And this is what this text brings to how you should be living your life. Um, And that we see that a lot in the new Testament in, in Paul's letters. I think what's important to remember is on proper law gospel distinctions when we get to that third use is the why. Hmm. And it it's not it's not to prove you're a Christian, which I think unfortunately we see a lot of. You know, kind of like the example I was I gave earlier with if you value Christ above all, if you don't value Christ above all, then you're you're not saved. I mean what that's really saying is because they do it as kind of after the gospel here, you know, Christ died yeah. for you, et cetera. What they're saying is if, if in order to prove that you are truly saved, you need to do this. 
Mm-hmm. So that is that is not why, but but to understand that we obey because we're being sanctified, but we mm-hmm. obey out of gratitude for gratitude. what Christ has done. Gratitude and and I think even there's just this sense of duty and this is this is how I live. Even even when because um I think we've in our about that section at the end, I think we've talked about how um people will say things like, um, hold on, let me think of the wording. Like, you know, God cares more about your heart in obedience than the actual act of obedience. We've talked about that right. before, right? Right. Like and where, mo- he cares more about having right motives. Right motives. About what you do or something like If I waited to have the right motives all the time, um, I would very rarely be obedient. Um, A lot of times I'm obedient when I don't want to be at all. Um, In fact, it's the last thing I want to do. Um, But you, you know, you're obedient anyway. And so even that I think can get a little fuzzy of, you know, or people will say, I only read my Bible when I, you know, feel led to, or man, if you wait for your, your right. um, heart to want to read the Bible, you're not going to read the Bible <laughs> you know, or, or prayer, even prayer is even harder, you know? Um, so there is a sense of duty as a Christian. This is how I live. This right. is, this is what I reason, do. And the reason we do is, is first is because first of all, we understand the weight of our sin. Mm-hmm. And second of all, we understand what Christ has done for us. Mm-hmm. And I, some, I was talking to somebody that was a complete antinomian one time, and they were trying to justify, you know, living however you want. And and I actually used the example, you know, if my husband loves me and and I've just been horrible, but he is gracious to me, it actually makes me want to do something nice for him. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if you understand the weight of your sin and understand what Christ has done for you, you want you want to obey. Yeah, you still sometimes don't want to obey, um, but you you want to live in gratitude and obedience to him, in obedience to Him out of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I guess I've just seen possibly in my, my own life and just seeing around me, um, the consequences of when, when that aspect of the law is never taught the aspect of, okay, now, now you're a Christian now go do this. Not, not in the sense of if you don't do this, you're not saved. Right. But I, I've just seen the consequence when that that's never taught. There's people living like like practically they're living like antinomians. Right. I was just going to say they're practical antinomians. Yeah. Like they, like. if you ask them, they would say certainly not, you know, if they knew what that meant, but um, that's how their lives are. They don't look any different than their unbelieving neighbor. Um, right. So. And, and we'll all continue to struggle with sin, but we are also seeking to live in obedience. So the, the difference would would be you know you're you're a christian and you understand the gospel but you're just going to sleep with your boyfriend anyways and have mm-hmm. this well you know i i'm in christ you know that that would be very antinomian yeah 
you know, this is just like a, a side story. I was really encouraged. We were at a, we were at a get together, um, for my husband's work and there was someone using really like foul and appropriate language that we had never met before there. And someone who was not a Christian asked them to stop and said, you must not know, um, Derek and Ashley to be talking that way around them. Really? And I was like, so encouraged that even though these, none of these people were believers, they, they like, we're different enough, you know, we, right. that's, that's evidence enough that they would say to someone, you know, you don't want to talk like that around them. Not, not, they were actually doing it in defense of us. Like, right. please spare them your language. Cause it was really bad. But I, you know, I didn't know the person. I was just like, Oh, you know, a little uncomfortable kind of thing. Um, but you know, it's like our lives, our lives should be different. And I'm glad my husband's is different enough where someone would say that, you know? So. Right. We, we are, we are an example in the world and and we'll fail in that too. And the wonderful thing is that we can, we can point to Christ on, on all of it. Mm -hmm. Even, even when we fail, because you can also, you might be somebody that is saying, well, you know, I have non-Christian coworkers and, and I have sinned and they've said things to me like, I thought you were a Christian. Mm, that's right. Also, now that's a gospel opportunity. Well, yeah. Gospel, that's a gospel opportunity <laughs> to share. <laughs> yes. You know what? I do still struggle with sin and I still sin every single day. I think I've told about my grandma, really the most amazing woman I've ever known in my life, became a Christian at a young age and her and my grandfather devoted their lives to serving the Lord and were missionaries in Venezuela. And it was probably about a year before she died and we'd have these great talks. And she said, oh, there's some things I'm just now not struggling with as much. And I was like, I have to wait till I'm 90. You know? <laughs> so, I think it's so important. And I this is the most important thing that I want our listeners to hear is when you struggle, look to Christ and the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. the answer on that third use isn't trying harder. Mm -hmm. It's actually it's actually looking to Christ in the gospel because when it's the trying harder and trying to prove that I'm worthy of the salvation, that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's actually Christ that is our motivation for obeying the law. Yeah. It's the it gospel. Is. That's our motivation for obeying the law. It almost seems like there's this, there's this tug of rope battle between antinomianism on one side and gnomism on one on the other. Yeah. Like you're, you're trying to find the middle ground, you know? And I really feel that when you read the reformers, they really did find that middle ground between <clears throat> no law at all, which I guess wasn't as prominent. I, the Catholic church was making works part of your salvation. Um, but there. I, I, I see both sides all the time. And I'm, I guarantee you, listener, if you've never heard of this before and, and you'll, you start to understand this, you'll start to spot it everywhere. I was telling that to Colleen 
earlier, I don't, I don't know if that was when we started recording or not, is I just see it everywhere. I'm like, oh, that's kind of antinomian. <laughs> oh, that's nomism. That's, you know, they're confusing law and gospel. I just see it everywhere, you know, um, making the law part of the gospel and then completely leaving the law out. Like it's not even there. Um, it's and- not, if you're still if you're still confused, please go to the resources, and I'm sure we can talk about this more later. But R. Scott Clark did on Idolcast. He did a great series, and he talked about antinomianism and nomianism, and he taught he talked about both of those wrong views and what the right view is, and sanctification and how we should understand it biblically as Reformed Christians. And so I highly recommend that series, which I'm going to link in the in the episode notes, along with a bunch of articles and some other things. Hmm. And we're going to talk. I don't know if it'll be next week because Ashley and I have some guests we're scheduling. And we are going to do a whole episode on the law itself, because I think there's some confusion on that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't why aren't we under all of the laws in the Old Testament? Right. I was severely confused about that for a long time. That was that was one of the biggest things becoming reformed did for me was learning how to rightly view the law. And I'm really really grateful for that. Yeah, and I think I think many of us have run into people that are part of the Hebrew Roots movement or I think there was somebody that joined our group that called themselves a Torah something. I don't know if you remember that Ashley. Hmm. Like a, a a Torah holder or something like that, and so I, I guess that might be a form of Hebrew roots or one of these different things that do, obviously they cannot obey all of the mm-hmm. Old Testament laws, but they've they've chosen aspects of the Old Testament law that they believe that as Christians huh. that were to hold to. I talked to actually one of these girls. And it was very interesting because she said, you know, she was talking about all these Old Testament laws that she thought that were to hold to as Christians. And she told me, oh, I believe in justification by faith alone, but I believe that we're supposed to hold to all of these different things. Hmm. That a little bit reminds me of Messianic Jews. um, Because, yeah, that's what it sounds like. And my pastor has said, like, when Paul talks about the weaker brother, mm-hmm. you know, people, it's kind of like Judaizers, like, trying to say, oh, you know, all food is clean, but we're still only going to eat these foods. It's like, what? Why would you do that? But, um, yeah, they still try to hold the dietary laws and and things like right. that. And there's different, there's actually, because my dad, since he's a convert from Judaism, there actually is different kinds of Messianic Jews. So you have mm-hmm. some that don't that uh, that actually recognize our freedom in Christ in many ways and then some that some that think that only Jews have to hold to some of those things that Gentiles do not and there's there's a lot of different uh, hmm. views in there but I do the the resources for this episode will be on the website babblethumpingwingnut.com click go under podcast theology gals and check out the resources. I think this is a topic we might have to hit up again because I had so much stuff, you know, and that, that I was, I was hoping to get to. And I think, you know, if you have any questions, message us and we can incorporate those 
into another episode or if we didn't talk about something that you were hoping we would hit on. And I'm also going to put a lot of quotes from the reformers since I know some people in my research, I found the people that said law and gospel is Lutheran. Yeah, it's Lutheran and it's reformed. It's, you know, we also both hold to the five solas and there's some differences among obviously differences between the Lutheran reformed, but that this is something that, that is similar. Their, their views on, they, their views on the uses of the law differ somewhat and some of that, but we still both recognize that the commands in scripture are law mm-hmm. and that the gospel is the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we'll go to our, our quick commercial and then we'll, we'll come back for, yeah, about that. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new track just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. So I have, I think I have a really good yeah about that. And it was something that came up in the group today. I love, I love when our gals are out there, you know, seeing bad theology and wait, this isn't right. It's, it's encouraging to me. And, and one of our gals had seen a video going around of somebody, I'm not going to name the, a video of a woman talking about, it is God's will for you to be healed. And she specifically said it was wrong to pray, Lord, if it be your will to heal that person, that Hmm. she was saying that it is absolutely God's will for you to be healed. What do you think? Well, I think it's amazing that she knows what God's will is. Like, that's quite quite presumptuous, don't you think? Well, and I think I think what's happening too is they're taking verses in scripture completely out of context. Like they'll use the "by His stripes you are healed," hmm. and that that I see means that, and and that actually is talking about spiritual healing. That's not talking about that it is the atonement was about you being physically healed on this right, earth. right. That's, I mean, that's confusing the gospel, right? I mean, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel isn't, isn't about physical healing. It's about spiritual healing um, of sorts. Um, but um, yeah. It's got to be discouraging for that person out there. And if, if you're that person and they come and pray healing over you and you aren't healed, they actually say, it's because you have not had enough faith. And so they're mm-hmm. really putting a lot of power into our hands and less pow- making God less powerful ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have very little experience 
I was never involved in word of faith or anything like that. So it just sounds so bizarre to me that I don't necessarily have a good response. But I think if you grew up in that, you might, that might sound like something you've heard a lot, you know, yeah, um, about healing, but it just sounds so bizarre um, that, that someone would say that. And I've, I've talked to people who have doubted their salvation because they were not being healed yeah. or they, this trial in their life was not being lifted or they were continuing yeah. to struggle financially. And right. that's, that's such a huge burden. And one thing I wanted to recommend, if you're confused about this, go and listen to Justin Peters. If hmm. he had just look up Justin Peters and healing on YouTube, I can link a couple videos. I don't know if you know, for those of you who don't know his story, Justin Peters has cerebral palsy. And this mm -hmm. is very close to my heart because I have a son with a 19 year old son with cerebral palsy too. And Justin Peters was in the word of faith and he really believed, like, I think if faith was necessary, he probably would have been healed, but he really believed that he was going to be healed of his cerebral palsy. And, mm -hmm. but he, he really studied scripture and, and really saw what the word of God says. And he just has so many excellent messages about this, such an amazing testimony. And he, he really understands this well. So if you're somebody who's grown up in this or just wants to understand this from a biblical perspective, yeah, I, I recommend go and check out Justin. He interviewed Benny Hinn's nephew. Mm. His name's like Costi or yeah, Costi, who was caught up with that, traveled with his uncle, you know, was in that word of faith, but began to study scripture. Hmm. And you can even look up Justin Peters and Costi Hin, and hmm. that's a great, really amazing testimony. Yeah, I'm just thinking how crushing that would be to think that your healing is dependent on how much faith you have. Um, and then when you don't, you're not healed, you know, I just, that would crush you. Cause you're like, I don't, I don't have the right amount of faith and I don't, I don't know how to get it. Right. <laughs> I, you know, cause I've, I've had pretty serious injuries here and there for running. And I remember before I was a Christian, but thinking I was a Christian, you know, praying for healing, not really sure exactly what I was doing. Um, and of course nothing happened and you just kind of, I mean, when you're not a believer, like, like I wasn't, you, you believe that God must really not care. God's not really in control or he would just heal me. Um, I remember thinking those thoughts, um, because you're just like, why, why aren't I being healed? You know? Yeah. And then let me say, I do believe that God can, and and does heal problem with this particular belief is saying that it is absolutely god's will that we are healed mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's because and that's very attractive you know and i think i think that gets a lot of traction in places that are poor and um where there is a lot of illness and, and things that are just totally out of people's control. They can't get out of their circumstances. Um, you know, people say it's God's will for you to be wealthy and to, 
that sounds good to me, you know, yeah. like I have a, I have a mortgage to pay. Right. <laughs> so I, I get it. Like I, I get why people are drawn to that. I've, I don't know about you, Colleen, but I found it difficult to be on the other spectrum, the other side of the spectrum now that um, I've become reformed. And, um, you know, since I became a Christian, I've heard so much about God's sovereignty to then pray for healing. Um because I think I think we we view God as being so in control that we we won't pray for things like that because yeah. we we think well it's gonna happen it's gonna happen so I I I struggle with being on that end of things because um, I have a high view of God's sovereignty that I have to remember I can still pray for things and God does still work in ways like that. And, and so I, I think, I think it's easy to spot the word of faith, um, the word of faith errors. Um, Cause I don't think re- reform people have such a high view of God's sovereignty, you know? Um, yeah. So, but we still should pray. Mm-hmm. We're not saying to not pray for that. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. What what we are saying is that it is not necessarily God's will that you be healed. Right. It might be. Mm-hmm. It might be. And we should pray for that. And thank you so much for joining us this week. We we have a lot of exciting things that we'll be talking about in in future weeks and some big announcements coming up and mm-hmm. some, some things that Ashley and I are going to be doing. So if you're not following us on social media, definitely do. So you don't miss anything that we post and you can find us pretty much. I don't think there's any other theology gals. So if you look, I think there's a theology gal on Facebook, but I think theology gals, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, any, any of the social media. And you can find us at BibleThumpingWingNet.com. If you go to the main site, you can, find Theology Gals on there and click on any episode. If you find this episode, all of the resources will be there. And I highly recommend going through them because this is such an important topic. And if you would like to support us on, on all of our episodes, we also have a link to Patreon. You can even sign up to support us $3 a month, $5 a month or, you know, whatever you're able to do. And we appreciate those who have already supported us. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll be back next week.